RCA Radio, a podcast covering the latest news and challenges in regulatory, compliance, and quality assurance facing the life science industries. I'm your host, Brandon Miller. Today we'll be covering data integrity and quality culture and what the pandemic is teaching us about them. Among the current and emerging topics of interest to the pharmaceutical industry, the topics of quality metrics, quality culture, and data integrity are of particular concern to both the industry and the regulatory authorities. In this episode, we'll be discussing why data integrity and quality culture are so important, permanent changes as a result of the pandemic, how to leverage the changes, and how it is all related to having a good quality culture. Today, I'm joined by Steve Lin, who is RCA's Executive Vice President of Pharmaceuticals, and Susan Schneep, RCA's Distinguished Fellow. Welcome, Sue and Steve. Well, thanks, Brandon. It's a pleasure to be here with you and Steve. Likewise, likewise. Thank you both for taking time out of your busy schedules today to sit down and record with me. I first want to cover for our listeners, what is data integrity and quality culture? And what do you think the pandemic is teaching us about them? Uh, well, for me, data integrity, you know, I, I've looked for definitions over the years. Um, and the one that I found that I liked the best came from Regulatory Focus in April of 2014. And it really says ensuring data integrity means protecting original data from accidental or intentional modification, falsification, or even deletion, which is the key to reliable and trustworthy records that will withstand scrutiny during regulatory inspections. So I think we need to keep that in mind. And culture, the culture of a company um, helps establish that as a practice for individuals whenever they are dealing with records. Agree. And I, Sue had a pretty thorough definition, but I look at it, you know, I'm a simple man, so I have simple ways of thinking about it. So data integrity is basically, bottom line, having integrity in your data, or your data must have integrity, because if it doesn't have integrity, it's not believable, and without that integrity, you don't have trust. And without trust, you've got zilch. And by what that means, so think about it from the way the products are developed. I mean, you're building data on top of data, on top of more data, on top of data, which equals your product. So without that, you don't have anything. Um, and then quality culture, I think it just runs, it's how, you, you know, how it all comes together. So they're, they're, they're hand in hand, in my opinion. You know, if you don't have in data integrity, your quality culture is probably not, not so robust either. Um, and it, you know, what do you think, Sue? I agree, and I think that the pandemic is teaching us that um, you need to keep a more um, vigilant eye on these two things because uh, we're challenged with social distancing and we're challenged with some people working from home, a lot of people working from home. And I think it's hard when you're not right there to keep a handle on, it's easy to want to cut corners during a crisis. And I think this is teaching us that there are some corners, there are some procedures that you can't um, uh, compromise during a pandemic because they're very important. So I think it's teaching us how to keep, how to make our systems for data integrity and quality culture more robust because we're dealing with um, being away and uh, telecommuting and people not in the office. 
I completely agree. And I, th I think from the, my, my perspective on the pandemic, you think about it from the former regulator that I, that I was, is, you know, without the inspections going on, like you said, things can be, you know, have, people have a tendency it, sometimes when they're rushed or in this type of, you know, emergency situation to cut corners, then, you know, what are they going to find when the regulators do start inspecting again? And also at the same time with people being remote, not at the sites, you know, say a corporate audit team or a corporate compliance team, data is still being, de your development is still moving on, products are still being developed and so forth. Um, and things more and more and more are going from the old paper-based system and now into more electronic systems, um, even more so now with the pandemic, documents are being uploaded and so forth for people to review remotely and so forth. So basically just the integrity needs to be there in the data. Absolutely. So you mentioned the kind of transition between a paper to electronic. What other changes do you see in, see to data integrity as a result of the pandemic? Um, I think we have to look for different ways to present data to people. And kind of jumping ahead, um, one of the changes I think that's going to come out of the pandemic is how we handle audits. And I think virtual audits uh, will become a standard. I, I think it's a program that people have worked through to try to maintain compliance and um, maintain their adherence to those standards. And so I think that with that comes the responsibility to make sure that electronic data is transferred to the auditors under secure systems and is in fact the right data to give them. So I think that we're going to find data integrity um, being first and foremost in people, uh, people's minds as a result of the pandemic. And they're going to have to learn how to not just keep the data um, integrity, the data uh, integral at their site, but also when they transfer it to auditors um, through electronic systems. I agree. I think, you know, like the electronic systems, I think is key, especially, you know, talking about these virtual audits that are going on right now. It's, you know, not only what kind of platform are you using, the security within that, you know, the IT security aspects of it, um, but also the simplest thing is how are you uh, arranging the data within folders or subfolders or whatever. Um, do you know where stuff is? Do you have some kind of, you know, way you've archived it and not archived it, but filed it away in like a table of contacts like you would like a, think about a batch record being reviewed. They could do it remotely now. How is it put together? What does it look like? I mean, how are the documents put together? Does it make sense to somebody else? And how do you explain it to them if, if necessary? Absolutely. Absolutely. And do you think these changes might become the new normal? I think Sue said it right. I think absolutely. I, I yeah, I do. I, I think so. I absolutely think that, um, you know, it's cost efficient. And if you can, I think one of the things that's going to have to be worked on um, when we do virtual audits more and more as part of our routine is certainly quality agreements and um, disclosure, non-disclosures agreements, all of those will have to be looked at very carefully to make sure uh, that they can accommodate uh, virtual audits. And one of the problems that, well, I don't know if it's a problem, but one of the challenges that I see with this is um, mostly in quality agreements, you'll have a for-cause, if it's a supplier, you'll have a, a caveat for a for-cause audit. 
Um, and I think that's going to have to be rethought and actually um, worked on in a collaborative way between supplier and client. Yeah, yeah, I think she said it well. I agree. I have nothing else to add to that one. Well said. So what are some best practices in general when handling this kind of data, especially in this new environment? I mean, from my perspective, I think some of the best practices, you know, I call it critical thinking, thinking through what you're trying to do. What's the ultimate intent of what you're so, you know, going back to that simple example of, you know, putting files in folders and how you, you know, set it up so it's, you know, it's explain it and you can explain it to a, either an auditor or to an investigator or inspector, whatever country it may be. Um, little things like that. Just thinking things through to the end instead of just, you know, reacting. I think it, it, it's slow and steady kind of just think it through, get it done. What does it look like? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think too, and when it comes to changes, I agree with everything Steve said. And I would say when it comes to changes, you want to do risk assessment. You know, if you're going to change your procedures and our processes, for instance, an investigation procedure, because you can no longer do in-person interviews, you have to do them electronically. Um, I think those need to be um, put in place, uh, but thoughtfully and with justification and rationale. And I, I think you need to not um, skip steps in procedures because it's inconvenient because you have um, a pandemic going on. You need to think about these. So, so risk thinking, uh, risk-based decision making and risk thinking are going to come as um, part of this uh, best practices. I think you're gonna see that that's going to ramp up how people make risk-based decisions and change procedures um, based on those decisions. You got a good point, Sue. I think, you know, for me, it's the message I got is your quality system is still there, whether you're on-site or off-site or remote. You still have your procedures. Now, you might, like you said, you might have to change the procedures. Um, but then again, you still have your procedures that you have to adhere to. Um, and, uh, you know, like document control is still there, change control is still there, deviations, kappas, all that's still there. You might be doing things a little bit differently in a remote fashion, which is why you have a change control system. But then again, you got to think it through. Exactly. So do you guys see or have you seen or are there currently any guidances that have come out recently from these regulatory bodies that um, can help companies start getting into this new normal? Um, the FDA has released a number of guidances. Um, the first one that they actually released, re-released, was one on how to work through um, how to provide drugs in a sh you know drug shortage. It was basically put out in 2010, I think, Steve, right? And it was um, in response to, I believe, the Ebola um, uh, situation. But um, the best advice there is there's a lot that have been. Uh, issued for companies um, from regulatory authorities. And the best thing to do is monitor those websites, the Federal Register, make sure you're up to date on those um, new guidances, and then see what fits and what you can adhere to. There's a lot of good information in those. Yeah. I think they've, uh, well, number one, the FDA going back to, you know, the, the actual Food Drug and Cosmetic Act. So back in 2017, they put together what it's called a staff manual guide, and it's 9004.1, and it's basically it's FDA's internal policies and procedures. 
uh, and this one is poly and procedure for requesting records in advance or of lieu of a drug inspection. It kind of goes down the pathway of how the FDA does these kind of remote requests, if, like for these virtual assessments as FDA is calling them. So if I'd say if our listeners haven't looked at that, to take a, take a look at that, because that sets the tone for how the other centers are doing things, whether it be Center for Biologics, Drugs, Devices, uh, Vet Meds, wherever it may be. Um, but I think still, I don't think the other centers have anything specifically on this type of, you know, record, you know, records request. Uh, and the other thing going about going back to you know, virtual kind of inspections or FDA keeps saying assessments, uh, there has been hints that there is uh, forthcoming guidance on doing remote inspections or assessments. Um, so just behooves you, to, just like Sue said, to keep an eye on the agency's website or, or if you're in the European Union, watch the EMA's website or MHRs and stuff like that because their stuff is coming out since, unfortunately, the pandemic is not going away anytime soon, it appears. So do you have any, any idea on when these guidances will be released or do you think it's within the next couple months or do you think they're still kind of trying to test the waters and learn what works and what doesn't? Well, well, they're actually releasing some now. So that's why I say keep, keep an eye on the Federal Register um, and uh, watch that closely. If, if nothing else, call up the FDA and ask them. Yeah, I think the the one guidance I was just talking about, I think, well, is forthcoming now. That could be a month or two months. Now we're getting, you know, we're getting into the holiday season, so it might be even delayed because of that. Um, last I heard, is they were still uh, working out. They called it legal issues, so there, I think there's a couple. What and they didn't get into specifics on what that meant. So they're still kind of look like the internal deliberations. Um, I think ultimately also internally to the FDA, they're trying to get their ducks in a row on how they're going to do this across all the different centers because once they hit the green light on, say, doing a virtual inspection or if they're going to call it a formal assessment or whatever, if they do things differently for different companies, um, then they there's a risk that the you know, industry or you know, various industry groups might come back and say they're being arbitrary and capricious, which is the last thing uh, the agency wants to do. They want to have a harmonized approach to it, and you know, basically everybody's treated the same way. So I think there's still some time before it comes out, but I think it's you know, within the next couple months would be my guess. So kind of moving, moving forward, uh, what kind of links between data integrity and quality culture are there in, I know people say it goes hand in hand, but can you break that down for us? Uh, well, you have to have a good quality culture, one where people speak up, identify problems, bring them to the attention of management, um, and, and that all is a good, uh, what, what we call the speak up quality culture. If you don't have those things, you're, you're going to lose, whether it's in a pandemic or not, you're going to lose um, data integrity. You're, you're going to have data integrity issues. People don't want to speak up. They don't bring deviations to the attention of quality. So there's always a link in if the quality culture nurtures honesty and speaking up about things that could be done better, then you're likely to reduce um, your episodes of data integrity. If you don't have that kind of culture, I think you're, um, during a pandemic, your data integrity violations will go up significantly um, because you haven't established the behavior 
people need to take when dealing with the data. Yeah, very good point. I think, you know, good quality culture. I mean, it, it, run, it boils down to it's how you run your, your shop or your organization or your site or whatever it may be. Um, and Sue made very good point to like speak up culture. Um, example, you, you know, how you manage your problems. Do you, uh, you know, something pops up, do you just brush it under the rug or do you actually, you know, address it? Um, in an open and transparent manner, transparency being key. I think, you know, a lot of times with data integrity issues you've seen across the, the industry, the transparency is not there. Um, or, you know, certain people you know, aren't being transparent and things get, you know, kind of convoluted and it turns into an issue, an issue. Um, whether it be intentional kind of data integrity or even just issues where it's, you know, it, it's not a true kind of, you know, someone's trying to, you know, be fraudulent about something, but at the same time they might miss, mess something up um, and they just brush it under, brush it under the rug because they're afraid of getting in trouble. Because I think, you know, bottom line, it, you know, good organization, it's not that you have problems. Everybody has problems. It's how you deal with those problems. Um, and you know, again, again, going back to, is it open and transparent? Is it tracked and trended? Stuff like that over time. And if you don't have that within that overall quality culture, I agree with Sue 100%. It's going to come back to, you're not going to have much integrity in your data. And then when that happens, like I said at the beginning, then you're going to lose trust. And then once trust is lost, everything's thrown out. Absolutely. So how can companies leverage these these key pieces of quality culture and with all the changes going on with uh, the pandemic and data integrity, how can companies leverage this to still have that good quality culture? Well, well I, you know, that's interesting. I, if you have a good quality culture to start with, you don't have anything to leverage. You just need to keep people on their toes and make sure they adhere to the rules and they don't go off the rails because there's a pandemic. If you don't have that quality culture, I, I don't know that you can leverage it during a pandemic because you haven't established it from the beginning. So I think you're facing uh, more significant problems. Um, but one of the things you have to do is, is a very good risk-based or risk management decisions to, so for instance, if you have a, um, a deviation procedure that requires quality to enter the deviation into the database, well, if quality is off-site, um, a change to that procedure might be to have manufacturing enter the deviation. It doesn't really matter who enters the deviation into the, into the database. It matters how it gets investigated. So if you have some um, procedures where you can um, put responsibility to other people to help expedite uh, during the pandemic, you certainly should take a look at that and justify it. But if you don't have a good quality culture to begin with, I think it would be really hard to establish one during a pandemic. I agree. I think people that didn't have a good quality culture in place before COVID-19 hit us, I think it's going to be even worse. And I think those are the type of firms that once the health authorities are able to get back out there are going to be, you know, in trouble. I think, you know, another thing to think about it, you know, what else can they do? I mean, it's, it's just like you're on site. Consistency and messaging from a leadership level down. Um, like we talked about that speak up kind of culture. Or like Sue said, you know, off, you know, if it's remote, you mean 
quality is not the only person that can put in a deviation. But then again, if you know from that perspective, if you need to change something, you might need to change your procedure to allow somebody else. If you have, you know, if you're if it's your your current procedure is that strict, so then you know do adequate change control stuff like that. And I think bottom line, it still comes down to practicing what you preach. Um, knowing that it's not just what comes out of your mouth but what you do about it and of course you know you know from a leadership perspective your staff are watching everything you do both vocal and non-vocal verbal and non-verbal as an example if you if there was a company that didn't have a good quality culture set up before this pandemic hit do you have any tips or uh, pointers that you could give these companies to try to get their quality culture in place if they're even still standing at this point during the pandemic? Well, I, I think that one thing, one, you have to have training. So don't cut your training. Um, in fact, increase your training. And, and I know that sounds goofy, but virtual training works. Um, there's all kinds of, you know, um, formats to do virtual training. Uh, to try and establish a good quality culture during a pandemic is going to be tough because you're not there right on site to, to help people work through the issues. But if you don't have a good quality culture, at least have a good risk management plan. Um, so you, if, you, if you don't have a good quality culture and you don't have a good risk management plan, then um, you're really behind the eight ball and you really have to think about um, how you're going to proceed uh, and adhere to regulations and be compliant. And I think that's going to uh, take a lot more than, than just Steve and I could answer here. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think you mean, besides, I mean, with the companies that are having issues or they know they have a you know, cultural issue and potential, I mean, besides hope and prayer, I think, you know, Sue mentioned a couple of things, is you mean, you got to figure out how to gain control of the issue. So, for instance, if you're you're an offsite person, you're an off in a leadership or offsite, and you can't get onto a into one of your manufacturing sites, say it's in another country, and of course we're not traveling internationally now or whatever. So, how can you gain control? How can you get people at the site to gain control and kind of scope out what's going on, how big the problem may be, um, and once you can grasp that, get it, you know. Feel, you know, see what it is, then runs in like Sue, I think Sue said, you risk assessments come into play because what you need to do is think about what, what do you need to do in the interim, those interim controls, those immediate corrective actions or preventative actions, and then moving into longer term. So how do you fix it over time? And, and then knowingly over time, once God, God willing, the vaccine comes out, um, we get people back on site, how you fix it longer term. But I think now it's gain control, figure out what you can do right now even if that means you need to shut down production, but that that can that might be the, that might be the solution, or it could be you know something else. Um, but you get you got to think you know go, going back to what I said critical thinking, you got to think critically and risk assess the properly. So do you guys have any good risk management strategies when addressing these kind of concerns with data integrity and quality culture? Uh, well, the the best risk management strategy that I can come up with is don't knee-jerk reaction um, to things. Really thoughtfully go through your procedures that might need to be changed, write your justification and make those changes and make sure they're compliant. Um, the worst thing to do in any kind of pandemic is to rush through changes that impact your quality system. 
you, you need to be able to map them and make sure that when you change one procedure, it doesn't affect another. And so it, it sounds goofy, but it's kind of like hurry up and slow down. Right. right? Yeah. I mean, and, you know, and I think thoughtful and deliberative are two words that come to mind to be very deliberative about it and what you need to do, why you need to do it. Um, coming down to actually thinking through, slowing down to speed up because once you do that and you start building in you you know it's like muscle memory you start doing it and then you build it up and to for instance an organization gets more and more mature at doing the risk assessments and how they're thinking through problems and addressing that you can get the standardized templates in place or whatever it may be so you you can go back and then when you start doing that is when you can speed up but initially you have to you know and a colleague used to call it the stop rule. Stop and think through it first. Don't just react or the firefight because that's usually when, now I've seen companies get themselves in trouble. Where they, Then you get into the cost of rework when you have to rework something. And God, God forbid you have to do a recall. We have covered so much during this podcast about data integrity and quality culture. Do either of you have any additional thoughts or key takeaways for our listeners on the importance of data integrity and quality culture? Uh, it's important because it's, it's what, you know, once you release the lot of product, the only thing you have to stand on is your data. If there's a question about the data or anything funny about the data, that's going to implicate the lot. And in some cases, implicate more than one lot. So we really need to get a handle on this so that the product you know, it's, it's important when we think about a vaccine coming up and the millions of doses, you don't want to lose good product out in the field um, because you had poor data integrity um, policies and procedures in place. So, so it's important from a supply chain perspective. It's important from, you know, providing quality drugs to people, even in the time of pandemic, there's still people who need heart medication and all other kinds of things. So in taking your time to just do the changes that need to be made right and keep an eye on that quality culture, uh, those are gonna be the things that you need to do to continue to move forward. Because as I said, you know, it's gonna be stressful from a supply chain perspective and you don't, do not want to compromise the product that you've made and other product that you've made. Um, you you want to make sure that you're following the rules and that product is safe and effective for all patients. Yeah, very, very, very true. Um, I mean, you need to build quality into the process. Um, I mean, whether it be you know, like in a clinical trial or clinical trial protocol you think you write, which is a document, and how you monitor the trial, so clinical trial monitoring, there's data all throughout that. Or on the post-market side, we, you gotta, you know, what your batch record is, how you have it designed, and then how you manufacture the batch, more data coming into it. So you get data is everywhere. So if you don't build or bake quality into your processes and systems or, again, in your overall culture, um, then oftentimes that's when your data is not going to be as good as it should be. And then again, like I keep going back to, you don't want to lose trust. Because once you lose trust, not only with your own internal folks, if you lose it with the regulator, it's even worse. And like Sue says, once you release a batch, and then if you have to recall something, then you start losing public trust. Also millions and millions and millions of dollars, depending on what product you're making and have to recall. 
Um, and I know we're kind of uh, running out of time here. Do you, uh, do either of you have any final thoughts or comments? No, none from me. No, I just, you know, again, like we've said before, quality culture and data integrity go hand in hand like a 50-year-old marriage. Um, it's not going away till death do us part kind of thing because without one, you don't have the other and vice versa, in my opinion. That was a great analogy to end on, Steve. I want to thank both of you for taking time out of your day again to sit down and record with me. And I want to thank our listeners for tuning in to this episode of RCA Radio. Be sure to subscribe to be the first to know when we upload the next episode. Thanks again. Thank you.